How many of you guys watch TV on a regular basis? Most of us probably do. Let's acknowledge that. You remember that old commercial, the Klondike commercial? What would you do for a Klondike bar? Remember that commercial? You guys all know what I'm talking about, where usually they have on camera, they've got some guy who's dressed up in a business guy. He's just really, you know, serious, or, or a mom who's just really, you know, calm and subdued and serious. And they're like, uh, hey, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And they're kind of like, nothing. I'm satisfied with my life. I'm good with where I am. And then they describe the Klondike bar. You got the vanilla ice cream covered in the milk chocolate. And all of a sudden, that serious person begins to let loose a little bit. And they'll do crazy things to get a Klondike bar. Like, like they might hop like a frog. They might, they might uh, act like a monkey. They might do the chicken dance. Na, 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 na. I won't do that for I won't put you up to that. But, but it's like, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And it kind of, the funny thing about that, that commercial is it kind of gives us this idea where sometimes we're going about our life and we're satisfied with where we are. We like what is, is going on for us. We're, we're, we're good. But then we see something in front of us. We see something, maybe a goal, maybe an ice cream bar. We see something in front of us, and all of a sudden, we're willing to sacrifice for whatever that goal is. We're willing to maybe discipline ourselves a little bit differently. We're willing to do whatever we can to pursue that goal, to, to get that goal, whether it be an ice cream bar or something else. In fact, let me ask you this. Are any of you guys in here, anybody, anybody a runner? Anybody, anybody a runner? Anybody a runner? Okay, I, I hate running. Running has got to be the most horrible thing ever, right? Amen? Anybody? Like I've, like I've done it, but I do not enjoy it. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy sitting on my couch watching TV. I enjoy, I enjoy candy. I enjoy tacos. That's what I enjoy. Like, give me some tacos. Like, that's where I'm at. Uh, in fact, I often say, well, I feel like I work hard. I feel like I've, you know, I deserve to come home and sit on my couch with a three-pound bag of, of Sour Patch Kids. Like, that's what I deserve. I deserve that. I'm entitled to it. Although this past fall, I found myself in a spot where I felt like I was struggling. Physically, you know, going through some physical stuff. Emotionally, uh, going through all the COVID stuff and trying to lead the church through that. I was just struggling physically and emotionally. So I decided I need to do something. And I, everybody talks about physical exercise is so good for you. And so I did something dumb and I started running. Now, I'll be honest, when I started running, I, and I still to this day, I hate running. It's just, it is still the worst. But I began to think, if I'm going to pursue this, I need, I need a goal. I need some motivation in front of me because running is not fun, and, and there's a lot of other things I'd rather do than run. Now, one of the things about me is I tend to be highly competitive. And so I began thinking when I started running, if I could run longer and if I could run faster, that would be a motivation for me because it gets that competitive edge going. So I did something dumb, and I signed up for a half marathon. I literally signed up for a half marathon. I had about uh, two months to prepare for this. Now, the longest run I had ever run before was about a 5K, which is about 3. Point miles, 3.1 miles. And I signed up to run 13.1. I must have been crazy that day. But it became a motivation for me. It became something that I could, could work towards. And it was, it, was, it was a goal in front of me. And it was the craziest thing because when I had that goal in front of me, like these crazy things started happening. I started sacrificing my time on the couch with my family to go run. 
I hate being in the cold, but this race was scheduled for the end of February, so I had to run in the coldest months of the year in January and February. It was miserable. And I found this really crazy thing. I even began to sacrifice my nacho cheese chalupa from Taco Bell. In fact, I don't know, like I even, while I was sacrificing for this goal, I learned about this new food. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's called uh, salad. Salad? You guys ever heard of that? Like, I, I sacrificed all these things to pursue this goal, and it was great. I think we've got the picture up here on, on February 27th. My buddy Eric and I, we did it. We ran the Richland Run Fest half marathon, completed it, and it was an exciting day. We did it. We got to the, cross the finish line. You ever had that experience? So where have you experienced that in your life, where there's a goal in front of you? There's something that is in front of you that you've decided this is worthy of me sacrificing to achieve. This is worthy of me disciplining my life and maybe making some changes and maybe letting go of some things so I can pursue something bigger and better and greater. Where's that been for you? Maybe for some of you would say, well, I've I had to sacrifice so I could go back to school and try and, and uh, you know, I had to give up some, some time and some, some money and some things to go back to school. Maybe, maybe it's uh, going back and saying I had some broken relationships and I had to sacrifice to try and mend those relationships. Something with your family, something in your workplace where you've had to, to sacrifice and discipline yourself and let go of some of your rights in order to pursue something greater. Where's that been for you? We've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians for the past couple of weeks, which is really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church, probably not unlike ours, a church in the city of Corinth. And Paul writes this letter to remind these Christians that they are to center their lives on the gospel. That is what their life is supposed to be about, that everything else revolves around that. And so Paul writes this letter, and he says, listen, as you, as you embrace the gospel, there are implications of how the gospel and how your faith should impact different practical areas of your life, from uh, your sexuality to your marriage to your lawsuits and how you are wronged by one another and how you interact with one another. And so last week, last week, Corey Lockbeam uh, was teaching us from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I would just say, by the way, I'm, I'm really thankful. Aren't you, don't you love it when Corey preaches? Like, I, I, I really do. I'm so thankful here at Restoration Church that God has brought some gifted Bible teachers to Restoration. And so we have this opportunity where you don't just get to hear my voice. We've got these other voices that are sometimes even more gifted than I am at teaching us Scripture. And so this summer, as we talk about sabbatical, we're going to have an opportunity to have these uh, gifted Bible teachers carry the load. And so I'm excited for that to continue to have them uh, teach us this summer. But as Corey began in chapter 8, chapter 8 really begins... Uh, this section of the book of 1 Corinthians where there's three chapters that are specifically dealing with the freedom that we have as Christians, with our rights, the rights that we are entitled to. And the specific issue for the Corinthians is they said we, are, we have this right where we can eat whatever meat we want. We can eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. It doesn't really matter. We're free. We can do what we want to do. And Paul says that is true. You have every right to eat whatever meat you want. But Paul says there's something bigger than just your right. 
In fact, if we think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees have come up and they're asking Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing? And Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said what's most important for us, what's most important that we do is that we love God and we love people. And this is what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians. You have every right to eat that meat. But if you are actually loving God and loving people, it leads you to prioritize a relationship over being right. It leads you to set aside your rights in order to pursue that relationship. Because our goal in life, our goal in life is not to claim our rights, not to claim what we are entitled to. As Corey said last week, True freedom is found not when we are claiming our rights. True freedom is found when we sacrifice for the good of others. And so Paul's having this conversation about, yes, we have our rights, but we should set aside our rights in order to pursue the good for other people. And in chapter 9, Paul is going to say, I want to give you an example of what that looks like. I want to give you an example of somebody who has rights, who is entitled to these things, but they set those things aside in order for a greater good a greater goal, a greater purpose. And ultimately, what, Paul, what we'll see Paul is going to teach us today is what we are willing to sacrifice for in our lives, what we're willing to sacrifice for, or perhaps what we're unwilling to sacrifice for, will reveal to us what the true motives of our heart are. So here's where you're going to start. Paul, starting in verse 1, is going to point to his right to his rights as a pastor in the city of Corinth, his rights as an apostle of the Lord. And this is what he says, verse 1. He says, aren't I free? Which means he's not a slave. He doesn't work for free. He's not a slave. He said, aren't I an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus the Lord? And aren't you, you church, aren't you my worksmanship, the fruit of my planting the church in Corinth? And verse 2 Hey, even if I'm not an apostle to others, I am to you. You are the seal. You're the result of my labors. And verse 3 says, this is my defense to those who examine me. What Paul is saying is, is he's given this picture. He said, I, I planted this church. I came to the city of Corinth. I planted the church. I pastored the people. I loved the people well. I answered the phone call in the middle of the night. I showed up and prayed for people when they're struggling. I was present. I planted the church. I loved the people well. He was a good enough leader. But one of the hard things in ministry, one of the hard things about being a pastor, about being a leader, is it's a very public position. And so what happens as a leader is people have these expectations, well, this is the type of leader I think you need to be. This, what is, this is what makes a good leader. And people oftentimes are very vocal as to, hey, leader, you're not doing good enough because I think you need to do this and that and this. And that, was, that, was, that is what was happening in Paul's day. City, see, the, the culture in Corinth, the culture in that city that Paul is writing this church to, is they valued uh, leaders that were high, highly skilled orators. They valued charismatic personalities. And so they wanted a leader, they wanted a leader who was popular, who was engaging, who was wealthy, who was powerful, who looked good, who looked polished. That's the type of leader they were looking for. They're looking for a leader that has all these things. And that wasn't quite the leader that Paul was. 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, I came in weakness, in much fear and trembling. He said, I came preaching the gospel, not with eloquence and persuasive speech, but I simply preach Christ crucified so that you, the hearers, would experience the Spirit's power and so that your faith would not be based on human, uh, 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 on human wisdom, but your faith would be based on the power of God. So Paul didn't fit their expectation of what they were looking for in a leader. This charismatic personality, this, this dynamic speaker, this, this, this loud, vocal, uh, good-looking leader. And so Paul is having these criticisms from the church. We're saying, you're not the right kind of leader. We don't need to support you. We don't like you. We think you need to be a different person. And Paul is trying to defend himself because uh, he doesn't fit their expectations. And so here's what he says. Verse 3, he says, this is my defense. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, as the other apostles do, as the brothers of our Lord do, as Cephas does? Cephas is simply Paul. He says, or is it only Barnabas and me who do not have the right to refrain from working another job beyond the job of the church? And he says in verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard but does not eat any of the fruit? Who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? See, what Paul is saying, he's saying, as a, as a pastor of the church, as an apostle, I have a right to be provided for by the church. I have a right to, to, to have my living provided by the church. Other pastors do. Other apostles do. The brothers of Jesus, their church provide for them so they can focus on the work of the ministry, so they can support a wife and a family and feed themselves to the work of the church. And Paul's saying, Shouldn't I have that right as well? I'm doing the work of the ministry. And Paul uses some everyday examples to state his case. He says, look at a soldier. No soldier is going to show up to boot camp having to bring his own equipment, right? Because you can imagine there'd be some soldiers who'd show up and be like, well, I brought my Red Rider BB gun because it's all I got. I don't have a Humvee, but I got a Honda Civic. Can I take that into battle? Will that work? Well, No. The soldier shows up to boot camp and they say, here's what you need. Here's, here's what you need to serve as a soldier. Farmers. He's saying farmers, they can eat the fruit that they grow. They don't have to buy their fruit from themselves. They don't have to go and buy. They can eat the fruit that they grow. Same way shepherds. They don't pay for their own milk from their flocks. It's provided. And Paul is saying that same thing. Paul is saying, listen, I have came and I've served as a pastor. I've, I've loved the church. It's my right for the church to provide for me. In fact, he goes on further. Beyond just that common practice, he goes further and says in verse 8, he says, do I say these things from human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 25 that says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading its grain. And then he says, did God say, did, did God give that verse for the oxen? No. He says, it was written for our sake because the plowman plows in hope and the thresher uh, threshes uh, in hope of sharing in the crop. Paul is saying this isn't just a human perspective. This is a scriptural thing. 
that the person who does the work of the ministry should be able to be compensated by the church for doing the work of the ministry. In fact, he even quotes Jesus on this, verse 14. Paul says, In the same way the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel to get their living by the gospel. Probably quoting from Matthew chapter 10, verse 10. So Paul is trying to defend himself to the church and say, Listen, I have this right. I have this. It's common practice. The scriptures support it. And he goes even further, verses 11 and 12. He says, If I have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap, we, that we reap material things as well? If others share in this rightful claim, do we not even have more right? Paul's saying, These are my rights. These are my rights. I've given you examples of everyday examples. We've looked at scripture to support it and common sense. And Paul's saying, I have every right to earn a decent wage to provide for my wife, to provide for my family for doing the work of the ministry. That's Paul's right. But look what Paul says in verse 12. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have not made use of that right, but I have endured anything but I would rather endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Drop down verse 15. He says, I've made no use of these rights. And I'm not asking you right now to have our rights met. See, what Paul said is, is this is my right. But I haven't claimed that right. I haven't demanded what I'm entitled to. Question is, well, why? I mean, Paul, you're, you're making this case about these are my rights, this is what I'm entitled to. Why aren't you asking for that? Is it because you're weak? Is it because you're afraid? Again, this is where we have to understand a little bit about, about the culture. In Corinth, as they had these, these great leaders come in, these great, powerful, charismatic, uh, good-looking leaders, they'd come in and, and they'd give speeches in different places. And as they would give a speech, they would pass a bucket around and people would put money in the bucket and that's how these leaders would support themselves. And oftentimes what would happen, the wealthy people in the cities, they'd be like, hey, you've got this really powerful leader. You've got this engaging personality, this, people, this, this person that people are drawn to. And so the wealthy people in the city would come up to the leader and say, hey, hey, I'm going to fund your work. I'm going to give you this money. I'm going to give you a house to live in. I'm going to give you a house to stay in. And you can imagine how perhaps these wealthy leaders uh, began to take advantage of having this financial control over these engaging leaders in the community. They used that leverage by creating a relational debt. As I give to you, then you have to say the things that I want you to say. You have to lead in the ways that I want you to lead. And so the, the, the wealthy people begin controlling the leader, controlling the message, where the leader just becomes a puppet of whatever the wealthy people say. And so this is why Paul says, he says in verse 18, what is my reward? What is my reward? I'm not claiming a salary from the church. That's not my motivation. My motivation isn't money. My motivation isn't my rights. What's his motivation? Verse 18, he says, in my preaching to present the gospel free of charge. What Paul is saying is my motivation is the gospel. I want the gospel to be free. It's not something that can be bought. It's not something that can be controlled. I want the gospel to be free for everybody to hear it. He says, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of people knowing who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. 
You see, you've got you to understand this, this, this text and context of, verse cha- of chapter 8. Chapter 8, you've got the Corinthians, as Christians, they're so concerned about their rights and what they're entitled to, and Paul is saying, no, 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 I'm concerned about something greater, something more than just my rights. In fact, he says in verse 19, he goes further. He says, I'm, I, I, even though I'm free from all, I have made of myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He says, to the Jews, which are those under the law, I became like a Jew. I became like one under the law. Why? So I could win more of those under the law to Christ. He says to, uh, uh, to those outside the law, the Gentiles, the non-believers, I became like one outside of the law. Why? So I could win those outside of the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I do all, I became all things to all people that by all means, I might be able to save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not concerned about my rights. I'm not concerned about what I deserve. I'd rather have gospel influence. I'd rather have the ability to impact people with the truth of who Jesus is and what he does in their lives. He wants to point people to Jesus. He says it's so important that I'm going to go to the Jews and I'm going to become one of them. I'm going to become like one of them. I'm going to go get in with the Jews. Then I'm going to go get in right with the the non-Jews. I'm going to get in with as many people as I can so I can influence them with the kingdom of God. How How does Paul become like a Jew and like a non-Jew and one under the law and one outside of the law? Simply that means that Paul was willing to set aside his rights, to set aside his convictions in order to get to know that group of people, to try and understand their situation, try and understand their thoughts, try and understand their feelings, their concerns, what makes them make the decisions they make. He wants to understand who they are and why they do things the way they do so he can point them to the truth of the gospel. So you've got to grasp his motive here. He is saying, giving this example, listen, I haven't claimed my rights. I haven't claimed what I'm entitled to because there's something greater I'm pursuing. There's a greater goal, a greater good, a greater purpose, and that's gospel influence. That's me loving the, the people around me that I want to influence them with the gospel. He gives one further example of this. Verse 24, maybe you're familiar with this passage. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So Paul says, run that you may obtain it. He says, athletes, they exercise self-control in all things for a perishable wreath. You think about the Olympics, they get the little gold wreath that goes on their head. But we, as Christians, we run for an imperishable crown. Listen, anybody into the Olympics, that, I think they're happening this summer, right? I love the Olympics. We love watching them in our family. In fact, the last winter Olympi- or last summer Olympics, I remember seeing this, uh, this YouTube video uh, on Michael Phelps, the swimmer, the swimmer guy who's won more gold medals than everybody else. And in this, in this video, he talks about the, what it takes, to sa- the sacrifices it takes for him to become an Olympic champion. And he says, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, man, there's all these rights that teenagers have. They have the right to go and hang out with their friends, to go to dances, to go get uh, uh, Slurpees late at night. And he said, listen, 
I sacrificed my rights. I had to give those things up because I was pursuing this greater goal. I wanted to become an Olympic champion. I wanted to become the best swimmer. And so I sacrificed these things that I was entitled to, that I deserved. I sacrificed them because there was this greater goal in front of me. And you know what he said? He said, pretty soon, those didn't feel like they were a sacrifice anymore because I was so focused on this goal that was in front of me that was good, that was more important than that. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, if that's what athletes do for a gold medal, like we have so much more at stake. How much more significant is us that we are willing to discipline ourselves and sacrifice to the gospel, to the kingdom? This is why Paul says in verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under, self, under control lest after preaching I myself might be disqualified. See, I, I would encourage you to think back to John chapter 13. Jesus is speaking and saying, listen, hey Christians, this is how everybody will know that you're one of my disciples. It's by you going to church on Sunday morning. No, that's not what he says. It's by not saying cuss words. No, that's not what he says. No, he says, you will know my disciples, you will know that, they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That is, that is our, our testimony to the world, that they will know that we are his Christians by how we love and interact with one another. And Paul says, listen, for us to live that way, it requires discipline, requires effort, that we have to give up our rights in order to genuinely love one another. Paul's saying, listen, the last thing I'd want as a Christian, the last thing I would want as a Christian is that people would not see love in me, but rather they would see hypocrisy. They see me be, as a person who says, listen, I love people. I'm all about Jesus, and Jesus tells me to love people, but I'm more concerned with loving myself than loving other people. Paul says that just doesn't work. Here's what we're seeing in, in chapter 9. Here's what Paul's trying to help us grasp. That what we are willing to sacrifice for, what we're willing to discipline our life for, man, it shows us, it reveals to us the motive of our heart. What you're willing to sacrifice for and discipline your life for reveals to you what is most important to you. And likewise, we could flip that around. What you are unwilling to sacrifice for, what you're unwilling to discipline your life for, the areas that you demand your rights and what you're entitled to and what's yours, again, that shows the motive of your heart about what's most important. And I'll be honest, today I'm, I'm challenged. I am challenged. See, as I've tried to grow in my own uh, maturity and my own faith, one of the things I try, I, I'm continuing to try and do is to become more self-aware. I want to be more self-aware. I want to be able to recognize when I'm going off base, when I'm not living the way I know I should. And Paul's example is simply that. You want to know when you're going off base? Look at what you were willing to sacrifice for or what you won't sacrifice for because that shows what's going on inside of your heart. Demanding your rights, it shows something. What's number one in your life? 
willing to sacrifice for certain things? Are you sacrificing for the most important things? See, I think that's our challenge today. I think that's a question that we want to ask ourselves today. Are there areas in our life? Think about the different areas of your life. Think about your marriage. Think about your relationship with your family. Relationship with your parents. Think about your work. Think about the church. Are there areas of your life that you are demanding your rights? That you are unwilling to sacrifice? Because that reveals to you what's going on inside of your heart. What is your number one? Now, I know for me, when I asked myself that question this week, man, my heart is quick to justify. Like, I got this sin nature inside of me that when I get my toe stepped on and I get a little bit uncomfortable, I justify it. Well, well, I'm just claiming what's rightfully mine. These are my rights. I have every right to do this. But can we just, today, can we just be confronted with a hard truth about how cold-hearted we can often be, how self-centered we often are. What is important enough for you to sacrifice for and to discipline your life in order to pursue? I've got a couple of application points for you this morning. A couple of ways for you to process through that. First one, I don't know who needs to hear this today. But relationships are more important than being right. Relationships are more important than being right. I mean, can't we say that our families, our church, our community, we've experienced enough damage that we do to one another because we have this backwards? We're more concerned about our rights than our relationships. This is where Paul said to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those outside the law, I became like one outside the law. Paul's not talking about compromising, compromising your convictions. He's not saying you gotta, you gotta go out and smoke dope in order to become one of the addicts. But Paul is saying we've got to be more concerned about relationships and other people than we are people seeing us as being right. I mean, here's, here's what you got to ask yourself. Do you care more about other people? Are you willing to ask others questions? See, I find that when I'm concerned about my rights and, and my thoughts and my convictions, that I'll approach a conversation and I do more talking than I do listening. Oh, I need to tell you exactly why I'm right, about why I see this right, about this is my right. And Paul is saying, no, that's backwards. See, God's given us two ears and one mouth because I think we're supposed to listen twice as much as we actually speak. And so when Paul says, I became all things to all people, I think that means he took the time to not speak first, but to listen first, to care about the person, to say, hey, you might see differently than me on this, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear your heart. I want to hear where you are. I want to hear why you believe what you believe. I want to hear what's important to you. See, this is called relational evangelism. Or when we begin to care about a person, we begin to care about what makes them tick, we have the ability to then to speak the truth of God into their life. Not trying to jam a square peg in a round hole, but we actually care enough to say, man, I kind of get why you're, where you tick and how you see and how you think. And so rather than trying to jam my square peg, I'm going to figure out how to share the gospel in a way that you'll receive it. 
We've got to be at the point that relationships are more important than us being right. The second point of application this morning is what is the motive of your life? Again, you ask yourself that question. What am I willing to sacrifice for? What am I not willing to sacrifice for? What does that reveal about the motive of your life? How are you sacrificing your life for God and for his kingdom? See, because Paul, got a, Paul wrote Bible. Paul wrote Bible. Any of you written Bible? I haven't. Paul, a guy who's probably more godly than any of us in this room, he's concerned, related to this issue about his rights, he's concerned about being disqualified. He's concerned about people looking at him and say, well, you claim to follow Jesus, you claim to be about loving God and loving others, but I see your life and you're a hypocrite. What is the motive of your life? What is the thing that you are pursuing? Because if there's a hypocrisy between what we claim to believe, between what we do on Sunday, versus how we actually will discipline or not discipline our life to actually live it out. You know what hypocrisy is? We need to understand this. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is like that, uh, that fart when you're in the room with your family, and you're like, I'm just going to let this thing go and no one's going to know. Everybody in the room smells it. Everybody in the room knows it. That's what hypocrisy is. We think, well, it's not a big deal. Nobody will see it. Everybody sees it. Everybody smells it. They know you did it. That's what hypocrisy is. So the question we have to ask is, how are you building your life around the kingdom of God? How are you building your life around the gospel? Is church even a priority? We, we get in these habits. Well, well, well I be at church, I'll be at church when I have nothing else going on. You know, I've got these other activities, and if those activities aren't happening, then I'll be at church. Listen, what is that revealing about your faith? You claim to be a Christian, but how does that reveal about whether you actually are living it out? What about the Word of God? Do we take the Word of God seriously? Or is it just, well, I go to church on Sunday, I claim to be a Christian, but then I don't really fuel my life with anything scriptural throughout the week? Are you growing deeper in your faith with any other Christians? Are you in discipleship? See, all these things, for us to pursue that, for us to pursue the church, for us to have a greater knowledge of the scriptures, for us to, to grow in discipleship with one another, to become more like Christ, you know what it requires? Sacrifice. Requires that we say, you know what, I'm going to give up some of my rights. I'm going to give up some of my time. I'm going to give up some of my rights to go and, and sit on the couch and eat my five-pound bag of Sour Patch Kids. I'm going to give that up because this is worth it. Because the kingdom of God matters. Because my faith matters. Because me becoming more like Christ, it matters. In fact, I would just, as a real practical application this summer, church has been unique in the last season because of COVID. And, and as an elder team, and Jake and I, we've tried to figure out over the next couple of months, how can we help rebuild some relationships? How do we, how do we strengthen relationships, with, relationships within the church? So we're trying to create opportunity 
trying to do dinner groups this summer, trying to do some picnics in the park, trying to do uh, some serving teams, trying to do some, some breakfasts uh, outside uh, 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 in the median. We're trying to do some things like this. Why? So we can focus on our relationships. So we can grow deeper together. You know what it takes for us to make those things happen? It means we actually have to be willing to sacrifice. Well, it's awkward. You sacrifice because the relationship is important. Well, I've got all these other things going on. You sacrifice because it's important. And maybe for you, maybe for you you're saying, you know what? The motive for my life has been everything else. I've been pursuing myself. I've been pursuing my career, my status, money, whatever it happens to be. I've been pursuing all these other things, but pastor, I really do. I want my life to be built around the things of God. How do I do that? I simply had come back to receiving the gospel message. That's what it starts out as. The gospel message is simply this. God out of love and what he's done for us. God sent his son Jesus to the earth as a man. God in the flesh. He sent Jesus to the earth to live a perfect life, to live the life that you and I could not live. That's what Jesus did. And then we hung Jesus on a cross and he died. He died the death that we deserve. He died in our place. And then Jesus went into the grave and rose from the grave conquering Satan and sin and death and hell. That's the gospel message. So that love and that acceptance and that satisfaction and that approval and that peace that we spend our entire lives searching for. We want to find peace. We want to find meaning. We want to find acceptance. We look for all those things. Listen, it's found in Jesus. That's where it's found. And this gospel message is free for us to receive. In fact, that's what Paul said. I want the gospel message to be free to be received. That means the gospel, you can't earn it. You don't have to be good enough in order to receive it. Simply, Scripture says you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave and you confess with your mouth that he's your Savior. And if we do that, that's how we receive the gospel message. That's how we become a child of God. And maybe there's someone here today say, man, I've I want to build my life and have that purpose, like Paul. Maybe that's the first step for you today. Ultimately, the question for you is, what are you building your life around? As you ask yourself, what are you willing to sacrifice for? What does that tell you about your motive? What does that tell you about what's number one in your life? Because for some of us, we spent far too long pursuing ourselves pursuing our rights and what we're entitled to. And today ought to be one of those days that we reprioritize. All right. All right, God. Today I'm going to put this as number one. I'm going to put the kingdom of God. I'm going to put my faith. I'm going to put the gospel. This is number one. And I begin to orient my life, to discipline my life, to sacrifice in order to pursue it. Let's pray.